Doing a daily Bible devotional has been the best thing that I've done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses through which I think with my mouth open as I read through the Old and New Testaments. Join me, won't you, for another adventure in Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood, and welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. You might think I'm kidding when I say that. No, I'm not. Coffee is one of the ways that Jesus says he loves me. Today, we're going to continue uh, on in Ruth. And we're going to do chapter 3. But before we get there, I just, as usual, I want to remind people of why I do what I'm doing and uh, why I'm uh, sharing these devotionals. It isn't because I think I have something unique and powerful to say. It's not about that. This is really more about this process being a point of accountability for me to get into God's Word on a regular basis. Um, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I need to have something I'm aiming at. And uh, when I started doing these and started recording these, my first goal was to just get through the Gospel of John. And by the time I got done with the Gospel of John, I thought, well, let's cover all the rest of the letters that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And then before I knew it, I was, my goal was to finish the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament. And I did that. And I discovered that setting that goal in front of me propels me forward. Uh, my dad used to tell me, and it's not original with him, I've heard other people say it, but he was a big believer of, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Well, I'm aiming at now completing the Old Testament in, in these devotionals. And so I have this goal. And just the process is my thing that propels me forward and gets me up in the morning to do this. The other thing that gets me up to do this are the results. Uh, I've said this before. This devotional style of Bible study for me has um, surprised me in its effectiveness in my life. Psalms one: Blessed is a man who walks in, who walks in the way of the Lord and in his and delights in his word, delights in his law. Uh, he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water. I'm sure I butchered that, but that's the gist of it. And the word to meditate means to mutter to oneself to talk to yourself. And that's what I do. I'm a very verbal person. I talk my way through problems. When I'm problem solving with, with anybody, I just start throwing things out there. And it helps me to focus and winnow out the ridiculous and, and, and stay focused on the true path of whatever it is that I'm trying to solve. I'm finding that that works with me at the scripture as well. So what I've been doing is I'll read a passage of scripture and I've, I've taken a few notes. I've looked at a commentary or a study Bible or two, but I don't do the 
deep dive that I used to do with the Hebrew and the Greek and all that kind of stuff and the culture because I, I just don't have time. But I have time to read it. I have time to think about it. And I have time to talk to myself and to God about it. I'm meditating on the scripture. And I've discovered that that has been transformative in my life. Now I wake up in the morning at five, between five and six, usually every morning, and I can't wait to get started. I can't wait because I know I'm going to read a new chapter of scripture today, and I can't wait to hear what God is going to show me. I basically ask two questions, whatever passage I'm reading. What can I learn about God? What can I learn about me? And generally speaking, God gives me something like that. Now, let's get back to Ruth. Ruth has been a challenge for me for one basic reason. I'm a man, and this is a story about two women, Ruth and Naomi. And in light of the uh, conflicts that I see happening in the American church as it pertains to women today, I'm sensitive to the fact that as a man, I might not be seeing things as deeply as I should be when I'm reading a story about two women. There might be things about being a woman that I'm just not cognizant of. And I'm, I don't want to come off as a man know-it-all and be mansplaining things as, as the term is today. I'm sensitive to the fact that this is a story about two women. So in light of that, I would really, really love to hear from any woman who's listening to this particular podcast series on the, on the book of Ruth to check me if I'm saying something that's ignorant or if I'm saying something that might not even be true. The only problem with doing this devotional this way with this book is that I'm thinking with my mouth open but I'm a man, and this is a story of two women. I'm trying to be faithful to that, to the truth of this, and trying not to come off as a know-it-all man. That thought is in the back of my head as well. All right, so having said that, let's get started. Ruth, chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, in the threshing season, the men would generally, after threshing, would stay with the on the threshing floor or near the threshing floor to protect the grain from theft. Remember, in threshing, a lot of times they would throw the, the, uh, the collected barley or whatever grain they're dealing with up in the air, and they hit it with two paddles, and then the outer chaff would blow away in the breeze and the seed, the part that they want, would fall to the floor. So the men would stay there to protect it from thieves. All right. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, again, this is a cleared area where grain was crushed or torn to separate the chaff, straw, and grains. The harvest was then winnowed or thrown into the air for the wind to blow away the chaff 
and let the grains fall directly to the ground, like I mentioned before. All this took place in the spring, at the time of the harvest festivals. Now, here's an interesting thought. The prophet Hosea refers to the threshing floor as a common site of sexual immorality. And here's the verse in nine, chapter nine, chapter nine, verse one of Hosea. Do not rejoice, Israel. Don't be jubilant like the other nations, for you've been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. So I'm not suggesting in the slightest that there was any sexual impropriety between Boaz and Ruth. In fact, I believe there was not. And we're going to see that bore, bore out here soon. But this was a common practice in part of that culture. And usually at the end of the threshing, there would be a time of partying. And this kind of thing could happen in the threshing floor. And so what that does for me is it highlights to me the danger of what Ruth and Naomi are planning to do here. Naomi tells Ruth, go to the threshing floor, lay yourself at the feet of Boaz, and he'll tell you what to do. There is significant intrigue here, and there is danger to Ruth. Her reputation, perhaps even physical danger for her in order to do this. I'm not saying that that's what was going to happen, what was happening here, but this is, this puts a little bit of different spin on the bravery of Ruth. She was doing this in spite of what might happen. This was, this was not a simple little thing for her. This took bravery. So when Boaz finished, Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, kinsman redeemer. Now, this is a bold move on Ruth's part. She asks directly for the favor of marriage because that's what she's asking him to do. Spread the corner of your garment over me. It's like, make me your wife. Ruth asks directly for the favor of marriage, though Naomi's instructions were not quite so bold. All Naomi said was, lay at his feet, uncover his feet, lay down, and then he'll tell you what to do. So Ruth pushes forward boldly. Now, here's another note from one of the study Bibles I looked at. This spreading the corner of your garment over me, this is a symbolic of entering a marriage relationship. All right, this was a request for marriage. With the striking play on words, Ruth confronts Boaz with his moral obligations. In the harvest field, he had wished her well at the hands of the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now she's basically telling him, I'm coming to you for refuge, specifically. I want you to spread your wings over me. And Boaz is being vividly reminded of his duties as a kinsman redeemer. 
The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. What kindness is he talking about? Probably refers to Ruth's proposal to follow the custom that would provide an heir for Naomi. See, Ruth had embraced not only Naomi as her mother, and really they, they were like mother and daughter. They loved each other. But she also embraced the worship of Jehovah. She embraced the worship of Yahweh. She embraced the worship of the God of Israel. But it wasn't just lip service. She embraced all that was included in that. When I was um, a long time ago, much younger, uh, I was involved in several evangelistic campaigns. And the one thing I noticed was that we would push to get people to say the little prayer in the four spiritual laws, or we'd get people to say the words uh, in whatever format we were using. And yet they would claim that they were Christians, but yet they wouldn't change how they lived. They still lived according to their old ways. They mouthed the right words, but there was no change in their life. This wasn't Ruth. When she embraced the worship of the God of Israel while living with Naomi and her son, she embraced all that that meant. There was a life change. Ruth was under the protective covering of the God of Israel. And so when Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. He's pointing to Ruth's insistence on following the customs of the culture of the God of Israel. He said, you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I, do all for all, I will do all for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. This is no small thing. She is a Moabite woman. But this is proof that Ruth has been accepted by the community as a daughter of Naomi and accepted as a follower of Jehovah, of God, the God of Israel. She's risen from being just a Moabite woman and servant to becoming attractive to Boaz as a possible marriage partner. And there's no doubt in this conversation what she's asking. She's asking to be protected by Boaz via the law of the kinsman redeemer in Israel's culture. And Boaz's response to her is proof that this isn't just a woman who's a gold digger going after a rich guy. This isn't someone who is involved in a plot to get money or prestige. This is a woman who has decided to follow God and embrace the, the entirety of that culture. She isn't like some of those guys that I mentioned earlier. She isn't just mouthing words and living life the way she wants. In fact, Boaz says that. You haven't, you're not running after other men. You're not running after other men, whether they're rich or poor. She is a woman of noble character. Although it's true, he says, that I'm a guardian and redeemer of our family, there's another one who's more closely related than I. Now this brings up my question, another question. 
Why did Naomi not mention this closer relative? Surely Naomi would have known. Why did she focus on Boaz? Perhaps a hint is revealed in verse 16. Let's go down here real quick. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, how did it go, my daughter? She told everything Boaz had done for her. And then Naomi said in verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. She knew some, she knew Boaz. There was a relationship between Naomi and Boaz of some kind. Um, so perhaps, perhaps Naomi knew something about Boaz as opposed to this other man who would be closer to her in relation wise. Um, that pointed her to focus at Boaz. I don't know, but Naomi is not unwise. And she's looking out for her daughter, Ruth. And something in this whole situation caused her to focus on Boaz instead of this other man. It's not that the other man is bad, but maybe Boaz is of a more noble character than this other man is. We'll find that out tomorrow in the next chapter. Um, so Boaz says, although it's true I'm guardian redeemer, there's another one who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duties, your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So Boaz commits himself by oath that by the end of the day, the next day, Ruth will be taken care of, and by extension, Naomi. Now, the kinsman redeemer, this wasn't just about marriage. It was also about the restoration of property. Um, Ruth had no, uh, Naomi had no husband. And while they were gone, it's possible that her property was sold, the property that her husband had owned. So the kinsman redeemer is also involved in restoring the property, the land, the home, in situations like this. So this is a way for Ruth and Naomi to have their needs met and to be provided for. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. He says, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. I think this is referring to what we talked about earlier. He didn't want people to think that Ruth was of loose morals because she isn't. No one must know that you were here. So you have to leave. So she left before anyone could see. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when he, she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me the six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi, And this also is proof to Naomi of Boaz's involvement in this plan, you know, it's and, and that he is favorably disposed towards Ruth. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So perhaps there is significantly enough of a difference in the character between that of Boaz and this other potential kinsman redeemer that Naomi knew. I believe also this is another example. Remember, this is a story of two women, Ruth and Naomi. I believe this is another example of the wisdom of Naomi 
who in the midst of her immense grief, losing husbands and a husband and sons in Moab, being forced to relocate from Israel to Moab and then losing her sons and losing everything. In the midst of all this grief, she ministers to the needs of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Naomi's becoming a hero of mine, an example of how to deal with life-crushing events that befell her in Moab by focusing outwards. Now, I have a friend of mine. Uh, her husband built me a guitar. And her husband was a wonderfully skilled luthier and a wonderful man of God. He was just, um, I wasn't great friends with him because time didn't allow us that. But he and I, it, we connected very quickly as friends. And he passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And he wasn't that old. And his wife now a widow, embodies what I see in Naomi to such a huge degree. She focused outwards. She, uh, she opened, she bought into and bought a, uh, uh, a gym, a CrossFit gym. And she is involving herself with helping other people attain levels of physical fitness and she's she's focused outwards and working and she's very close to her daughters and uh and she's always looking out to see who she can help and trust me the grief this woman suffered was immense she and her husband were very close and anybody would want a marriage to look like their marriage looked but in the midst of her grief, she didn't shut down. She didn't wall herself off. She's always looking outwards. And she, she's uh, a, a wonderful woman of God. That's Ruth and Naomi. I'm sorry, that's Naomi. <laughs> in the midst of her grief, she focused outwards. That's why Naomi is a hero of mine. Because she gives us an example of what working your way through grief looks like. She involved herself in the life of another woman. Ah, there's a lot of stuff to be pulled out of this. All right. Well, that's enough for today. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com. <laughs>